which is the genealogy of, of Shem and Terah. But before we do that, I wanted to begin with, on the sixth day of creation, I don't know if you remember this, God said this on the last half of the sixth day. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, God the Father is speaking to God the Son and God the Spirit. The question is, what are they talking about? But he is letting us in on his plan of redemption from the very beginning. How do I know that? Because, look at this verse. This is where if you understand the entire Bible, you'd be able to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Remember this? We've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. This verse tells us that God has a purpose. And this purpose is decided when? After the counsel of his will. See that? Now watch this verse. He chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And this verse sheds some light on this divine purpose in verse 11. And specifically it tells us when this divine purpose was discussed. When? Before the foundation of the world. So this council meeting was discussed when? Before Genesis 1 verse 26, the sixth day, before all of that, before creation. This verse also tells us what was being discussed. And what was being discussed in this secret council meeting of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Who he would choose. Who's going to be chosen. Now since the context of this verse refers to God the Father, this now tells us that God the Father is personally involved in the selection of the elect. Okay, But there is more. This is what else happened. And Revelation 17, 8 tells us that the beast that you saw was and is not is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written in the book of life from when? The foundation of the world. So now we know what else was there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had this meeting and they made a decision. And there was a book there. And what was written in this book? Names. Names of those who would be chosen. Okay? Now, I didn't put this other verse up there because it's a little bit redundant, but it's in Revelation 20, verses 12 and 15. It says, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Now we know that there are books that we open at the end times. And another book was opened which is the book of life, which we just read. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And you go to verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
These verses tell us that during the counsel of his will, this meeting that God the Father chose before the foundation of the world, who God the Father chose before the foundation of the world, had their names written in the book of life. Before creation, for all of that. But there's more. Look at this. First Peter 8, 1, 18 to 20. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold or from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Now this, these verses tell us even more what was discussed at this executive council meeting of the Trinity. Namely that Jesus Christ, God the Son, was to redeem humanity through the shedding of his blood. And this was planned before the foundation of the world. So before Genesis 1, God's redemptive purpose was already planned. So when we just read Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, and God said, let us make man and woman in our image, it was the beginning of God's plan of redemption unfolding in time. Now, let's turn our Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 11, verses 10 to 32. His plan of redemption will come into more focus as we look at this, of all things, genealogy. Now, in chapter, as you turn there, in chapter 10 of, of Genesis, we find the genealogy of all three of Noah's sons is given. As we come to chapter 11, verse 10, the focus is again on Shem, but not in the same manner as it was in chapter 10. See, in chapter 10, it covers more the um, descendants in a wider or general manner, but in chapter 11, we're going to see it narrows down to focus on one line of people. And you may want to write this down if, if, if you don't know this, and that is it's the line of election, or the line of the promise. Okay? We know that because it ends with Abram, who is Abraham. Okay? One of the first points when we go through this genealogy I want you to see, because we'll go through it verse by verse, um, is in this, if you've been for this whole series, this will really stand out. There's something missing when you read this genealogy. There's no mention of death. There's no mention of death. If you read the genealogy of Genesis chapter 5, you'll find the phrase over and over again, and he died. And he died. And he died. In fact, I think those, the genealogy of chapter 5 reads like an obituary. It's always punctuated by death. And eight times we read, that we read the phrase, and he died. But you'll notice the genealogy of chapter 11 is a genealogy of life. Sixteen times we find the word lived. You don't find the phrase, and he died. Did you know that? Yeah. It's as if prior to the flood, which Genesis 5 would be prior to the flood, everything was moving toward death. And after the flood, everything is marked out by life. 
Now we find a fair amount, the second point, you're going to find a fair amount of overlapping in this genealogy of chapter 11. Terah, Abram's father, listen to this, he was 128 years old when Noah died. So Noah was alive for 128 years of Terah's life. So Terah had a first-hand eyewitness of who survived the flood. In fact, Noah died probably, we believe, two years before Abram was born. So it's not a whole lot of time. Now, let's dive in. Chapter 11, verse 10. You ready? Maybe I should have like someone stand and read. That way I don't make fun of myself and how I try to pronounce these names. These are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and became the father of Arpachshad, two years after the flood. And Shem lived 500 years after he became the father of Arpachshad. And he had other sons and daughters. So right off, what I want you to see is that human life is shortening significantly. The effects of the flood on the world, and what was the effects of the flood? It was a much harsher environment. Okay, Seasons and colder temperatures and natural disasters and thunderstorms, hurricanes, drought, all of that. The water canopy, the water that was above the earth is gone. Perhaps that shielded some theologians believe the harmful radiation from the sun. So what we're seeing is also the effect of sin being passed down from generation to generation, and it's taking its toll. Shem was 100 years old when he became a father and lived another 500 years after that, totaling 600 years. But Shem's father, Noah, he lived 950 years. Look at verse 12. Arpachshad lived 38 years and became the father of Shelah. And Arpachshad lived 403 years after he became the father of Shelah and the other sons and daughters. So Arpachshad lived 438 years. And again, the lifespan is dropping. Verse 14, Shelah lived 30 years and became the father of Eber. And Shelah lived 403 years after he became the father of Eber and he had other sons and daughters. And yes, Shelah was a man's name back then in those days. But Eber is a term from which we get the word what? Hebrew. And he lived 433 years. Verse 16. Eber lived 34 years and became the father of Peleg. And Eber lived 430 years after he became the father of Peleg, and he had other sons and daughters. Now, you might remember the name Peleg. You remember that? Anybody? His name means what? Divided. And that very likely signals that he was born at the time of the scattering of Babel. The particular son of Eber is the, this particular son of Eber is in the chosen line. He has a brother named Joktan. Remember that name. And Joktan fathered the Arab tribes, but Peleg fathered the people of God. And Eber lived 464 years. Verse 18. Peleg lived 30 years and became the father of boy. I don't want to say this. Ru or Reu, Reu. And Peleg lived 209 years after became the father of Reu. And yet other sons and daughters. Now the world keeps expanding. That's one of the points you'll see. They're multiplying. They're being fruitful. But life is getting shorter. Peleg lived a total of 239 years. 
His father, Eber, lived 464 years. And so once again, lifespans continued to diminish. Peleg dead 200 years sooner. That's significant. Verse 20, Reu lived 32 years and became the father of Sarag. And Reu lived 207 years after became the father of Sarag, and he had other sons and daughters. So Reu now lives 239 years. Sarag lived 30 years and became the father of Nahor. And Sarag lived 200 years after he became the father of Nahor, and he had other sons and daughters. So now Sarag lives for 230 years and fathers other children. But you begin to see that people are having children now at a younger age. By the time you get to the time of Jesus, how old were Joseph and Mary, we believe, and they were fathering children? 13, 14, 15. That age. Okay? Yeah. Nahor, verse 24, lived 29 years and became the father of Terah. Nahor lived 119 years after became the father of Terah and he had other sons and daughters. Now, Nahor is Abram's grandfather. He lived 29 years and fathers Terah. Nahor only lived 148 years. Now consider this. Nahor is just a few generations from Shem. And Shem lived how long? 600 years. But he only lives, Nahor that is, a quarter of the time of Shem's life. 950 to 600. Now we're down to just under 150. Verse 26. Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram. Nahor and Haran. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. So this is the genealogy up to Abram. But starting in verse 27, you have a new generation. The generations of who? Terah, exactly. Now, Terah lived 205 years, and I want you to say this, because this is important for us to understand, you can all look at me now, and so on, is that you're taught in your public education that man evolved over millions of years to get to the point to where we are. What you need to understand is that this is a relatively new concept, because the most reliable by far, historical document is the Bible. I'm not talking it being an inspired book of God, which it is, but it is the standard. It is the most reliable historical book we have. Historians will tell you that the amount of, and I've done the research, the amount of evidence that supports the Bible, and just in its, the dates it, it, it uses, the names it uses, the events it describes. There are other ancient writings and we have plenty of manuscripts that prove that this is a reliable, the most reliable historical document that we have. That being said, if you take it at face value, it has the only genealogy and only historical writings of this time period. So why in the world do we say that people, man is 11 or millions of years old? What they do is they force gaps into these genealogies. Okay? That's what they do. But there's no scientific data or historical record in any ancient writings that forces gaps into this genealogy. 
so that man evolved over millions of years. Because historians take genealogies at their word based upon how reliable this historical document is. So that's just viewing the Bible from a historical document perspective, not it being the inspired word of God. Now, I do want to clarify something in verse 26. It says, Abram and Nahor and Haran, they're not triplets. Okay? They are not triplets. It means that Terah began having sons at the age of 70. And if you look at the biblical record, Abram was not the firstborn. Okay? He was born 60 years later when Terah was 130 years old. Let me show you. Turn to Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. I don't think I put this up there. I didn't. Since you're right there, next chapter. It says, So Abram went forth, chapter 12, verse 4, as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now this verse Gives us some more insight. I did put this verse up here because Acts 7 4. This is uh, Stephen speaking. He says this Then he left, speaking of Abram, the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had to move to this country in which you are now living. So when did his father die? When did Terah die? He was 205 years old. Let me do the math for you here. Terah died at the age of 205. Abraham left Haran at the age of what? 75 after his father died. So 205 minus 75 equals what? 130. So Abram was born when Terah was 130 years old. But Terah began having sons at the age of what? 70. So the firstborn of Terah was 60 years older than Abram. Now why is Abram listed first? It's very simple, because this is a line of election. He's the more, most important. Now let me give you some additional background information on Abram's family. And this, this took me back. I, I did not really study this. And I always learn so much when I'm preparing these sermons. And so I'm hoping that what I'm learning is what you are learning. Um, Abram's family were pagans. They were pagans. Let me show you. And probably worshiped the gods of astrology. And where were the gods of astrology invented? Say it. Babel. Babel. At Babel. Remember that? So all that time, they were at Babel. And that was how many years from the flood? About 100 years. That's how far and how fast man had descended because of his depraved nature and moved away from God. Now, from where they lived... They seem to have been involved in the cult of worshiping the moon god, that is Abram and Terah and so on, that family, that flourished in Mesopotamia. And I'll show you a map in a minute here. I say that because Abram's father Terah served other gods. How do I know that? Well, what does this tell you? This is Joshua. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived, ancient times the time of Abraham, beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abram and the father of Nahor. And what did he do? They served other gods. You see that? They served other gods. So Terah was not a believer in the true God. And these three boys, Abram, Nahor, and Haran, were born into a pagan family. 
Now, why do we believe Terah and his family worshiped the moon god? Well, Terah, the name, has been related by Hebrew scholars to the word Gerea, which means, which is a word for the moon. This tells us that he was probably named after the moon god by his father Nahor, and was perhaps a worshiper of the moon god as well. Now, it's also interesting to note that the birthplace of Abram, the town of Ur, is known by archaeologists and historians as the major center of the worship of the moon god in ancient Mesopotamia. Now, the name Abram, it means exalted father in the ancient language, but God changes his name, of course, to Abraham, which, of course, means what? The father of many nations, because that was the plan of God. And when was that discussed and determined? Before the foundation of the world. And Abram lived 175 years. He died a couple years after the death of Noah and was likely survived by Shem outliving Abram. He was probably survived by Shelah and also by Eber. Nahor was named after his grandfather, we believe. He probably was the oldest son. Now Genesis 22 tells us that Nahor had 12 sons who would be Abraham's nephews. One of his brother's sons was Bethuel, and he was the father of, you can tell me, Rebekah, who married Abram's son, Isaac, okay, and became the mother of who? Jacob and Esau. So they're all kind of related. Now, Haran, the third son, is also the name of a town in, in Moab called Beth Haran. You recognize that. The text also says that Haran became the father of Lot. Now, why would, why would we pick Haran and mention that he has a son named Lot? Why would Moses write that down? Why would God have him write that down? Well, the next verse tells us that it says Haran died in the presence of his father. You see that? Because of this, one of his sons had to take his place in the line of primogenitor. This is why Lot is mentioned. So Lot is really, in his genealogy, treated more like a son to Terah than a grandson. Now, all this is going on in the town called Ur of the Chaldeans. And it was one of the most important centers of ancient Sumerian culture. In the year 1922, they discovered a place where Ur was located called Tel el Mukayar. I can tell you say it, an Arabic name for a tell. Now, have you ever play cards and watch somebody and you can discover their tell? You know they have a good hand or they don't have a good hand? Well, it's the same idea here. A tell is a mound that reveals a location where, where a civilization has been. One civilization uh, built upon another on another and creates a tell as they build and build and build. One town goes out of existence and they build on it. And another one goes out of existence, and what do they do? They build on it. This is what they call a tell, or a mountain. The tell was excavated from 1922 to 1933, and is believed to be the ancient location of Ur. And some archaeologists feel at the time of Terah, and the birth of his sons, it had reached its zenith, its apex, its climax, and his family wanted to leave. But Terah and his family lived there, and it was known as the center for the worship of who? The moon god. 
But Abram is the key person in his genealogy. Abram believed in the true God. Now, why did Abram? God approached him when he was still down in Ur in the midst of stifling pagan religions because I believe Abram was questioning these gods and he was beginning to seek the worship of the true God who would have been known, okay, because of what events? Not only the flood, but also the scattering of the Tower of Babel. And in Genesis 12, God appears to Abram while he is still a pagan. Did you know that? When you read Genesis 12, he is not a believer. He is a pagan. And Abram, the pagan, he walks by faith and obedience in the promise of God. In chapter 15, you read this. Did I put this up here? No. Turn to chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. I did not know this. I'm tired of read Genesis. When you slow down and study it and you put the pieces of the puzzle together, it's really quite fascinating. God, he, God, took him outside and said what? Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, God said to Abram, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. There is 10 years of time between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. What we read in Genesis 15 is when Abram becomes what? A Christian, a believer, okay? He walked, folks, as a pagan by faith in the promise of God for 10 years. Now back to um, chapter 11, verse 29. This Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah, or Sarai, means princess. God changed her name to Sarah. Now Sarah means, uh, with the H, means princess, but without the my. So it's not my princess. Why did God do that? Because in God's plan, set before the foundation of the world, Sarah wasn't going to be somebody's princess, but what? The mother of all nations. Her name, by the way, in the ancient language is Sarat, S-A-R-R-A-T, and it means queen. And Sarat was one of the gods in the ancient Babylonian pantheon. In fact, Sarat was one of the names for the god Ishtar was the goddess of the planet Venus. Why was she named after a pagan god? It's the effect of the false religions at that time around the world. And it was scattered at what event? Babel. The effect of astrology and pagan religions that began the Tower of Babel is filtered across the Mesopotamian region. Now the text also tells us that Nahor had a wife named Milcah. Guess what Milcah's name means? queen. Again, it comes from the word Malka, which was a title for the goddess Ishtar. And Ishtar was the goddess of Venus and the queen of heaven, which went over this last week. So the people were greatly influenced by astrology and were naming their daughters after astrological Babylonian goddesses. 
That's how pagan the world had become right around the time of Babylon after that time. Verse 30, says Sarah, or Sarai, was barren. She had no child. And this is the worst possible situation a woman could face. She was considered to be a curse. Um, however, again, that's where I talk about the sovereignty of God. In the plan of a sovereign God, this would be absolutely crucial to the faith of Abraham because here is what launches the story of Abraham and the example of faith that is required for all who believe. You have to have faith. And remember, God says that he's going to make Abram into a great nation. Well, how is he going to do it? Because his wife is barren. God will have to perform a miracle. And this situation gave opportunity for Abram, and eventually changed to Abraham, to exercise faith in the promise of God, and that's exactly what Abraham did. And he did for, he was 25 years old when he was given the promise. He was 25 when the promise was realized. In the first 10 years of that promise where he walked by faith, he was what? A pagan. He was not a believer. Okay? The last 15 years, he, was, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is what Paul writes about what Abraham went through. It says, in hope against hope. Okay? In faith, against faith, he believed. He believed in the promise of God. Despite what his circumstances told him, he believed. So he might become the, a father of many nations according to that which has been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now during that time, that 25 years, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. It was as good as dead. He was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb she was, I think, a year younger, right? Like 99 years old, I think. I could be wrong on that. 90 or 99, something like that. Verse 20, yet with respect to the promise of God. He goes back to the promise of God. He did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. And let me explain that. Did he try and perform the will of God on his own? Yes, he did. Through Hagar. God says, that's not how it's going to be done. Okay, we'll deal with that, but... Did he believe that God couldn't do it? No, he, he always believed God could do it. He just tried to help God along. And as he did during that time, and he's waiting day after day, month after month, are you pregnant? Are you pregnant? Are you pregnant? No. I'm too old to have children. Okay? You're too old to have children. Well, he grew strong in faith during that time. Still believed God. And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. It became, I can't do this now. You're going to have to do it, God. And in God's timing, and this was all set up when? Before the foundation of the world, okay? And we learn now in chapter 11 of Genesis, in the story of Abram, becomes Abraham, what's required to get to heaven. It's going to be faith in the promise of God. Now, let's look at a, a somewhat controversial or confusing passage, verse 31 of chapter 11. It says, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. 
and they went as far as Haran and settled there. Now, why does Moses record this portion of Terah's life? Was Terah a believer? He was a pagan. And there was a place where he could worship his false gods. But again, Acts 7 provides the answer. Did I put this up here? Yes, I did. And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. This is Stephen speaking as he's being persecuted and about to die as he's stoned to death. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was then where? Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Now, that, this is not here. I add this. That means Ur. And said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that well, I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this country in which you are now living. Now, it was because God came to Abram and said to leave and go to Canaan. That's why they moved. Now, why did he go to Haran or Haran? Maybe this map will give you a, a better understanding. I tried to pick a person that looks like Don Teodoro, and this is the best I could get right there. So, so if you'd like Don to dress like this every Sunday, raise your hand. I'm all for that. So, okay. Anyways, this is where they are. See Ur down here? Okay. And this is the Sumerian culture in Babylon, and the Tower of Babel is right in this area. And they take this journey, and this is the Euphrates River right here, and this is blue steps are their journey, and they go up to here. Okay? And maybe in a clear day they could see the ark up there, who knows? That was a joke. <laughs> I got a delayed laugh. Woohoo! All right. But they're there. And of course, we know what happens here. Well, it's where Terah dies. And then from there, Abram goes all the way down to the land of Canaan and eventually to Egypt. Now, if he were to go from here to here, what would he have to cross? The desert, exactly. So instead of going to Canaan, they went north. Why would they go north? Follow the water. Going along the Euphrates because they would have a very difficult time with their entourage, entourage crossing the barren desert. As you can see, they're between Ur down the Persian Gulf and the coastal land of Canaan. And so rather than do that, they went north along the Euphrates to the high country. And this land was well water, watered, had mountains, and they began to cross. And they then crossed over the mountains and dropped down into Canaan from the north. And this is the path they would take, but they stopped in Haran. Well, why? Or Haran? I don't know how to say it. Anyways, why'd they stop there? That's the question. Well, archaeologists tell us that Haran was the second chief center of worship for, guess who? The moon god. Most likely, Terah desired to stay at Haran because it was a familiar place of worship. And I can imagine Terah saying, let's just settle right here. Let's not go down the river, down to Canaan, because here is the second great center of worship for the moon god. So they settled in Haran until Terah died at the age of 205 years old. And you know what? Terah died likely a pagan, not a believer. It was then in chapter 12 that we read, of course, what? This. Oops, let's go back. Turn your, your chapter 12, let's look at, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, this is when this happened, Terah has died now. Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, who was really now, his nephew was close to him, but he would be considered now what? A brother to him, because he took the place of his father, who had died. And all their possessions, and there must have been a lot of possessions, because we know Abram was considered wealthy, and this is why taking all that across the desert was really wasn't uh, logistically possible. All the possessions which they acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan, as you can see. Go up to verse 9. It says, Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And he, God is going to now establish some of his people here in this area. Why? Eventually they're going to be what? Enslaved by the Egyptians, and God's plan is to who? Raise up a young man by the name of who? Moses, to get them out of Egypt and reveal further God's plan of redemption. And he's going to create a separate people, a separate nation, which will be a witness to the world to bring people into a relationship with God, into heaven. Okay? And when was that decided? Before the foundation of the world. Yes, we're finishing up here. Now that's the beginning of the story of Abram. Now, like his father, Abram was a religious man. Unlike his father, Abram followed the word of God, and he received the promise. His father, Terah, died tragically a pagan. Abraham still lives as a child of God. Now, isn't God amazing? He works all this out. So he calls a pagan man, Abram, to walk by faith for ten years. Eventually, this pagan man becomes a believer in the one true God and receives the promise of a son and the promise of eternal life. He becomes the model of faith, a map. Everyone who believes must follow this map to attain the promise of eternal life. And men begin, all men begin like Terah, we're idol worshipers, not by men that worship a piece of wood or a piece of metal or a stone, but I worship, we all do, at the altar of self. We're pagans. That's how we all begin. And some follow the path of rebellion and unbelief and false religion, and they sink into hell. But some men end up like Abraham. They believe in the word of the living God. They escape paganism in the altar of self and receive the divine promise of eternal life and of salvation by faith. By faith. So this morning, we see that what God initiated before the foundation of the world, his plan of redemption, it now comes into a greater focus through Abraham. Because from Genesis 12 on, the rest of the Bible is about what? Redemption. Salvation. It's no longer origins anymore. We're done with that. 
But God's plan of redemption requires faith and a promise. Just like Abraham, a promise from God himself of receiving eternal life, and we must believe in order to receive the promise. And so it's pretty simple. I want you to believe. <laughs> you must believe. Amen? All right. Hope I didn't overwhelm you. Hope you learned some stuff as I did. Would you stand with me? We're going to close with a song. <clears throat>